TED Audio Collective. This is ZigZag, a podcast about changing the course of capitalism, journalism, and women's lives. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And podcast fanatics out there, do you recognize this voice? The idea was we are going to make this show because we want to have our own show. That was the only thing we were thinking. No? Well, it's this woman. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. On this episode, Jen and I talked to Phoebe and her co-founder, Lauren Sporer, the women behind Criminal, the original true crime podcast, and also our colleagues at Radiotopia. We talk about what it took to start a company that they have full control of, how they make their creative partnership work, and when they decide to say no to projects that come their way. I said something kind of wild one time. I said, your offer would have to go up by seven. You know, if you could times that by seven, we can continue to have this conversation. Lessons on entrepreneurship, podcasting, and staying true to your weirdo self. Coming up after a quick break, it's season two, episode eight. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Okay, before we get to Phoebe and Lauren and Criminal, there's actually a lot of talk about podcasting generally right now. The latest is this mega New Yorker piece, and I'm going to read you a quick quote from it. Eighty-odd years after Walter Benjamin wrote about the decline of storytelling, we are living in a new golden age of it, in the form of the podcast. I mean, leave it to The New Yorker to kick off a piece on podcasting with a German cultural philosopher from the 1800s. I don't know if it's podcast golden age or just a spike, but I do want to clarify how Jen and I are making our little corner of the podcast world work. Many of you have actually asked what that sentence that I say at the end of every episode even means. Okay, here's the sentence. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions in partnership with Civil. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. Who are these people? Who are these partners? And how does it affect your business? That's what you want to know. Okay, so our company is Stable Genius Productions. And by the way, you're right. It is complicated. So stick with us here. Civil, as you've likely figured out by now, is the blockchain journalism startup that we've been documenting. They gave us a grant to make ZigZag, but we retain editorial control and ownership. We are members of Civil's first fleet of newsrooms. But we are also members of Radiotopia. Okay, so Radiotopia is a curated network of cutting-edge podcasts. Podcasts like 99% Invisible, Song Exploder, The Illusionist, around 20 in total. Some of them have huge audiences, like Criminal. Others are new and blossoming, like ZigZag. And we will link to all the shows in our notes this week. 
Okay, and then the final partner, PRX. Radiotopia is an arm of PRX, and PRX is a media company that distributes all kinds of podcasts and radio shows, including This American Life, On Being, The Moth. There's actually a great story behind why Roman Mars, the host of 99% Invisible, created Radiotopia with PRX. Go back and listen to Season 1, Episode 4 of ZigZag. It is just an excellent episode, if I do say so myself. We we went to visit Roman in Oakland at a very vulnerable moment just before launching this show. I fully believe that your goal in life is to live an extraordinary life. Like, live a weird life. Well, we sure took Roman's advice. Things be weird. Jen and I are making the show. We are documenting our lives. I'm traveling a ton. We're both trying to raise our kids, trying to figure out how to make this company sustainable. It is not your typical startup. And here's what we get out of being a part of Radiotopia. The shows cross-promote each other. We do live events together. And there's also an annual fundraiser. Uh, There's also a lot of moral support involved, too. Okay, enough of all that. Let's get to it. Phoebe Judge and Lauren Sporer are podcasters, entrepreneurs, women, and general all-around badasses. And it's true. Part of the lore of Radiotopia was being part of something, anything, that they have to do with. I present you the women behind the podcast, Criminal. Hello, hello. Good morning. Hello. Hello, hello. Yes, hello. Good morning. Hello, hello. All right, sweet. Great. All right, so when Jen gets in here, we will be unprofessional, and we'll just, like, have her run in and join us. Okay. Um, but I, I want to make sure we maximize the, the time that we have. I'm Phoebe Judge, and I'm the co-creator of Criminal. I'm Lauren Spore, and I'm the co-creator of Criminal, the other co-creator of Criminal, <laughs> and not the host. How did you two meet, and what? where did Criminal sprout from? Well, Lauren and I were both working on a public radio show, a national show here in North Carolina called The Story with Dick Gordon. And I was a producer for it, and she was a, the producer and director, and I started guest hosting. And then one day we heard that show was going off the air. But we really enjoyed not only working together, but also producing pieces, collaborating on pieces. And I always wanted my own show to host or to ask questions of people. And I think Lauren wanted a show to run. And so the night that the show got canceled, we were sitting on the back porch of my house and we said, well, let's do it. Now's the time. Mm. And Lauren said, you know, a lot of people who listen to public radio also watch Law and Order. They may not want to admit it, but they do. (laughs) And what if we did a crime show, a show about crime? And I thought to myself, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard because we are never going to run out of stories. And this was a year before Serial. I mean, we Mm -hmm. were, there was nothing for us to, there really weren't any crime shows at that point. And so from that night on, we were very serious about the whole thing. And we just never believed that it wouldn't get made after that night. Lauren, do you remember it the same way? I also have a question for you, which is where was the money supposed to come from to make that show? It wasn't. (laughs) There was no money. The money was coming out of our pockets. Um, We had full-time jobs. That I do remember it that way. I remember I was reading a lot of noir crime novels at that time. Mm. And I was also, you know, like we were looking, constantly looking for story ideas for the show that we were working on. And I remember thinking about long-form crime reporting that you see in The New Yorker occasionally, and thinking no one was doing this in audio. 
there's something so mannered and elegant about old, like, Raymond Chandler novels or Agatha Christie novels, and I could just hear it in my head. Like, I could hear Phoebe's style applied mm-hmm. to crime stories, and I was like, "This could we can do this. We can do something empathetic and interesting and humane, and, and there was just nothing like that then. Edwina and her husband, Fred, had been murdered, cut up, and put in the refrigerator. The police found their bodies on Wednesday, and by Thursday had focused their attention on Edwina and Fred's son, Charles Rogers. Charles was 43 years old and lived with his parents. He was described by neighbors as a, quote, complete hermit who went out of his way never to see his mother and father. The family maid told police that Edwina had not seen her son face to face in five years. Yeah, his mother. So the first time I met you, Phoebe, I think was maybe, what, four years ago at like a public radio conference, and you had not announced it publicly yet, but you told me that you were going to leave your stable job in public radio uh, and do criminal full-time. Can you guys just sort of talk me through how you made that decision and like what made you think— we we don't need the full-time jobs. In fact, we don't need a station to back us. We can do this on our own. Well, Lauren, in thinking about who could get out first or kind of get into criminal full-time, Lauren was adjuncting at Duke and she was walking dogs, which was... Greatest job I've ever greatest, had. She was the greatest job <laughs> If you want to have like a nice work-life balance... Get a side gig as a dog walker, and all I did was listen. Then, yeah, it was amazing. All I did was listen to podcasts and walk all morning. Then I'd go home and take a shower, and then grade papers and teach in the afternoon. It was it was like a wonderful time in my life. (laughs) I had no money, completely broke, but but and and I had a a somewhat stable job at the station. I was on the air every day, and so it made more sense to get Lauren to start paying Lauren first from criminal, so that she could stop these mix of jobs and just focus full-time on criminal. And then we finally thought, okay, now I can come on. It was, you know, when we started making criminal, we never set out to make a lot of money on the show. I mean, I don't, I don't ever even think we thought to ourselves, it was never a conversation, we're going to make this show so that we can be successful. The idea was we are going to make this show because we want to have our own show. That was the only thing we were thinking. And we didn't care what that meant. We would have, I think in the beginning, taken anyone who would have helped us and supported the show so just so we could make it. A year and a half in or two years, I think Criminal was working, had been on for two years before I joined full-time. Uh, oh, that long? Yeah. I mean, I we made Criminal. I think I didn't quit my jobs for a year and a half. And, and I you came were behind on, me, yeah. And, and it was the summer that you and I met Manoush in Salt Lake City. Yep. I think that we just, we just thought, okay, we don't have mortgages, we don't have children, we can live cheaply, and the joy and the satisfaction that this is giving us doesn't matter how much money we make. Mm. We will take cuts in our salary if we need to, so that we can only focus, you know, so that we just focus on this. It also helped that we were so small. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were doing everything, you know, for so long, criminal was just the two of us, which meant that our our expenses were very, very low. Can you just describe what it was, like, how long that sort of first phase of criminal lasted, where it's the two of you, and you're kind of scrappy, and you're doing everything? Like, what was that like? Was it very stressful, or do do you think of it as actually a very sort of balanced time in your life? I thought it was like, I mean, it was a it was an amazing, I had been working in public radio since I was 22 when I started as an intern at NPR in D.C., and this was the first time where 
I could really just like follow my curiosity and then and then we could produce something that that was to us the most interesting thing we could possibly listen to. Like that was our idea was we're just going to make the best stories that we possibly can. We're going to make what we want to listen to. And then we're going to find other people who want to listen to it too. I mean, it was incredibly freeing. I mean, it felt, you know, for years I would, I would pitch stories. And I think anyone who's worked really in any field, but particularly in media, sometimes you'll be excited about a story and your editor will say, oh, no, we can't do that story because that story was on All Things Considered two years ago <laughs> right? Yeah. for five minutes. And you're just like, well, we could do it differently now. And they just are like, nah, because they're not interested. So t- to sort of not have that barrier over our heads, was it was like exhilarating. So it's that, pretty baller, right, yeah, that like, feeling? When I think back on that time, I just think like it, it, we, were, we were making the best stories that we could that we were excited to make, and it was working. Like people were listening, and the audience was growing, and it just felt— it felt amazing. And, you know, a lot of people when we started were like, what is a podcast? Why are you doing this? You know, like friends and colleagues would sort of say, like, why are you working so hard on this? And and I just didn't ever understand that feeling. And so as the audience started to grow and it started to work and more and more people started to listen to podcasts and then they would say, your podcast is big. It, it, was, it was just such a, an amazing feeling to have built it from scratch. All right. Guess what? My co-founder's here. I want to bring her in. She's had, um, I feel like, thanks. Hi, Jan. Hi. She's had the um, night from hell, by the way. Her almost seven-year-old had a pretty bad fever. Oh, uh, no. He had to miss Halloween. Um, oh. And so she's been up all night. <laughs> she also wrote the episode for next week at the same time, which I'm not sure how she did that. Um, Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, Jen. How are you? Okay. I apologize for being 15 minutes late. Not at all. <laughs> No, it's it's kind of how we roll, though. <laughs> she also has a two-hour commute, so there oh you go. My oh, gosh. my God. Yeah. Um, okay, so, Jen, let me just catch you up. Yes. We're at the point. They've quit their jobs. They, uh, The two of them are making this show, just like just the two of them. They don't have mortgages. They don't have hmm, kids. This sounds really familiar. Uh, yeah, it does sound familiar, except for the mortgages and the kids part. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm 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 hearing you guys, the two of them, Phoebe and Lauren, talk about this, and I'm feeling a little envious because they. It sounds. I mean, tell me if I got this completely wrong, you two, but it sounds kind of like Halcyon days. Yeah. Like you're living in North Carolina, you're making the show of your dreams. It's doing really well. It, it almost sounds like a creative freedom that people can only dream about. Am I? Am I painting this, like, wearing, putting rose-colored glasses on? Like, what was the hard part? I mean, that's true, but you have to remember we live in Durham, North Carolina. Like, our expenses are low. Our, you know, I think we live in a cheap part of the country, mm-hmm. you know? But, uh, and, and, and for for two years, we worked at night and at Panera at 6 a.m. and in Lauren's closet making the show. Every Saturday midnight. and every Sunday. For two years. <laughs> for and made no, I mean, when I say we made no money— we lost money. I mean, it's ah. not like we weren't. You know, when people say, "Oh, I didn't make any money, but I paid myself." We we weren't paying ourselves for our time for for mm-hmm. for eighteen months. We paid not a dollar to ourselves. We just the first year we made twelve hundred dollars, and we were able to pay ourselves back for the expenses and such that mm-hmm. that year before. It was really there were many nights when I thought to myself, or Sundays when I thought to myself, when we had the next day we were going to work, and I was driving. We were driving all around and tired and just thinking, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we are doing something good and that made it okay, but it was a it was it was a hard slog in the beginning. Mm. You know, I, we had to fight for this show. No one gave us a, my father gave us a hundred dollar donation the first year. And I remember the first episode came out way back when. And two weeks later, we got a check in the mail from some woman 
who had made a donation as a ten or fifteen dollars from West Virginia, and we got wow. a check in the mail, fifteen dollars, and I could not believe that. I still think about that, and I think that. Because our goal was not to make money, our goal was to make a show that it, I think it served us well now, you know, because I, I, I think huh. back to, I think back to those days, those early days of working so hard. And the thing about it, and you both probably know this, is that when you own your own business, because not only do we create podcasts, but we have a business that we run, you are never not working. I mean, there is not a, <laughs> there is true. a... I don't, that is true. Right, it's, you're, it's not even an option. I mean, this business is your other child. You have to be aware of them. They're a constant presence. And I feel like that about criminal productions now. Mm. The only thing I'd say is that I, at the time also, I had been really deeply involved in this like small press fiction world. So I, I was used to like building things and making things and helping my friends make things with no expectation of money whatsoever, but just sort of doing, like in the small press literary community all over the country, mm. you know, people are doing it because they want to. You know, they like want to organize events and host readings and do magazines that they fund out of pocket. So it didn't even seem strange to me. It just felt like totally a pleasure. Um, and and then, then mostly just the thrill of thinking like this is working. Like people like it. So when was the moment where you realized that it wasn't just criminal the show, but it was criminal the business, as you just described it? <laughs> well, I'm thinking about that because I spend so so much of my life thinking about criminal the business. I think it's a good partnership that Lauren and I have because I've always said that if it were up to Lauren, we would have three of the most perfect episodes. You've ever you've never <laughs> you've never been a more beautiful podcast episode or basically episode of anything if it were up to her but we'd have three of them um and uh i think that we're in this constant push but you know i'm worried i'm thinking all the time about opportunities and how we expand and grow and put put ourselves out there and so i'm that way worrying about that stuff all the time and lauren is saying as she said to me five minutes before we got on this call with you she said i can't do that right now. I'm overwhelmed. You keep pushing us. Get back to me tomorrow. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, I'm going to get, I'm, it's, this, this is going to work. I'm going to convince her. It will have to be tomorrow, but I will convince her. But she's very good at telling me, Phoebe, we cannot do all of this. You can't say yes to everything. And why would you? Mm. I mean, <laughs> well, we don't say yes. So, so this is, you're hearing us right now, me saying we don't say yes to everything. And she's saying we do say yes to a lot. <laughs> Isn't this um, wonderful, though, this this creative partnership and business partnership between two women? I, I hear so many echoes between the conversations that Manoush and I have every day, too. But I do think there's these there's this understanding, which even if you push back on each other, there's still an understanding and compassion for each other that I hear there. Well, sure. I mean, we, we you know, I think we're constantly aware and we still think about it. You know, I think if we are traveling somewhere, we're get, we're on our way somewhere, there's, you know— out to dinner somewhere before an interview XYZ, I still think we think to ourselves, look, at it worked. Isn't this something? It worked. <laughs> yes. Totally. Right? And aren't you kind of like wanting to pinch each other? Like, mm. oh my God, oh, we totally. did it. Like this, the whole thing could fall away. Mm. Oh, yes. You, it still would, it still did succeed. And that, that, that is such an, oh, that feels good. It's that an part, accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also nice because when you do, uh, own the business. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. I mean, that, we are not only just a woman-owned business, but we are a completely female-employed business because we have Nadia Wilson, who's our producer, and we have a brand new assistant producer. And th these are 
this is all women making this show. And I will, I mean, I, I think, I don't think we're going to have all women forever. I'm sure we would welcome a man into the fold soon. But it's really nice that it doesn't matter to us. We do whatever we want to do. No one tells us what we should or shouldn't do. Okay, more from me and Jen and Phoebe and Lauren right after this break. Can I ask, I'm curious to know where the conflict is between the two of you? Like, where are the moments where you disagree? And have there have there been decisions that you've had to make that, like, maybe one of you was a little bummed? Or, 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 or moments where you, like, really had to sit down and think, like, what do we want our lives to look like? What do we want our balance sheet to look like? Yeah, I mean, that's all the time. And that's really relevant to the process of bringing in a third person. Like when we hired Nadia, I think we didn't realize that like we have, Phoebe and I have like open disagreements in the process of like an edit, you know, like the, like the, the, when we're looking at like the first draft of an episode, we're going to disagree so much and in such like a shorthand way, the way people who (laughs) work together for a long time will. And then when you have a new person sitting there, it was like, I didn't even notice how much we disagreed until there was someone new in the room. Um, Mm. I think the biggest conflict probably comes like editorially. I think we have I think I'm a real perfectionist about the shape of a story, about the pacing of a story, about the writing of a story. Like every word, not only the the, the word choice, but the way that she 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 delivers it. You know, like I'm very very type A in my way, and she's very type A in, in a different way. I would say. Mm-hmm. And then and then you know what we mentioned earlier. There, I think there is conflict in terms of like she wants to do more and grow, and she wants to put. I think Phoebe, you seem comfortable sort of like saying like, where's the edge? Let's find it. Let's go to it and find it. And I'm sort of saying like. No, let's be cautious and think it through and let's do what we do and let's do it perfectly and not stretch ourselves beyond. You know, and like doing live shows, for instance, that was one where I was thinking like, why would we do this? And then the learning curve on that for me was so, it was so steep. It was so challenging. And then in the end, like we did like a 15 city tour. And by the end of it, I was like, I could do this again. I loved it. Live shows are really like a different beast. And I I was like, why would we do this? And she was like, let's try it. Let's try it. And that's really her attitude is like, let's try. And I'm always like, why? And then we do try. And, you know, I would say like, I'll give you 50% of the time. I'm like really thrilled that we did. The other half, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in terms of like looking forward, do you think the two of you are on the same page about how big you want it to be? Do you talk about that a lot? Well, I think that I, Lauren and I have been working together for so many years now. I know what Lauren wants, right? I I know what will will make her happy and fulfilled in continuing in this business. So what I want to do, because I don't want to lose her mind in criminal, like I I need her to be continuing to run and co-own this business. I want to give her like what she needs. So I know what I can kind of say sometimes if I'm if I'm offering up a new plan or something, mm-hmm. I can say, but Lauren, that means that you get to, and you know, and then uh-huh. I, I fill it in X, Y, Z. If we do this, that means that what you can do then is you get to 
have the obscure fiction podcast, experimental, and it doesn't matter if it has 20 listeners, do it, all for it, you know? I always think about it. I mean, I think we both think about what would happen if one of us left. And I think... Well, I don't even know. I mean, I don't know what happens if I one can't of them. I don't know how the business continues. I don't I don't know how the business continues. I don't know if we have like a you know, a two year plan or a five year plan or a ten year plan that we're in agreement about, but I do think we have sort of like extreme existential solidarity. Like I sort of care about Phoebe's life being good and I care about her being happy and I love working with her. So I do Mm. think it is sort of like an ongoing negotiation. Like, here's this proposal. How do we feel about it? What would it mean? What would it mean for our lives? Like, and we can talk about it in a way that sort of goes beyond, I don't think either of us are ever only looking out for ourselves. I think we do think as a team often, but it always feels productive and it always feels sort of like built on a strong foundation of, of, of sort of trust and affection. You mentioned how you guys split um, your duties creatively, but how do you split your duties when it comes to running the business side? Did that come naturally or was it like, okay, I'm good at this, you're good at that, I'll do invoicing, you do X, Y, Z? Like, how how did you decide? That was very obvious that I was <laughs> not going. I was not going to be interested or useful. I mean, I love it. I love the business side of it. I didn't think I would love the business side of it as much as I did because I was in public radio forever. I mean, before this, it's the only thing I had done. But I I love to do it. I love to be on the phone. I love to do deals. I love to, I think I've surprised Lauren sometimes. We have these negotiations and calls and I just, I just, I just do. I I go for it, and uh, very, quite blunt. It's like sometimes we'll <laughs> be on a conference that. call. Yeah. yeah, my jaw will just like drop open, and I'm just like awesome. But I don't care. That's yeah, a great thing. Great. Is that that that? Here's the other thing I'll say about these business opportunities, because we own criminal, and because we don't actually our end goal here is not to become rich, rich, rich. That's not, you know, if that happens, fine. But that's not, the goal is not money for us. The goal is content, quality, reach. And And so freedom also. And freedom. So because of that, we've been in a number of situations where people have been, what they think, throwing around big numbers of financial numbers or this or that. And I've been able a couple of times to say, what? Is that, you know, I said, well, we we can't even talk about, it. you know, we make some, you know, and it's just been this What do you freedom. mean? What what happened that they offered that you were like, that it didn't, like... I mean, there are just times where we'll be approached by people who have ideas for what we should do with our business. And they sometimes approach us, we joke that they approach us like we're a couple of girls who like fell off a pickup truck out couple here in North Carolina. Girls, yeah. <laughs> and like we don't we know our value. stories. Yeah. And like, but, but that we have no concept of what our, you know, our sort of intellectual property is worth or our time or our expertise mm-hmm. is worth. And... So Phoebe has just sort of, she really does astonish me. Just she, she has a light touch, but she can be quite firm in saying, like, we are we are not interested. If you'd like to, like, radically change the bracket, the financial bracket of this conversation, I, come back to us. Right. I said something kind of wild one time. I said, if you could times that by seven, we can continue to have this conversation. And I wasn't even, I wasn't rude about it. It's just I think that it's very interesting sometimes. And I don't know if it's because we're women. I don't know if it's because we're in North Carolina. I don't know if it's because we're not 60-year-old you know, I I don't know what it is, but the amount of times I've surprised people in these phone calls, not by my manner, but rather just by the blunt facts of our business, is kind of shocking to us. Um, huh. That's but interesting. That's, I love that. I love that we don't. We have turned down some deals 
that some people might say, why would you, why would you do that? And I feel so confident in it. I feel so, I don't, I haven't regretted it once. I mean, Lauren and I have these calls sometimes about things and we say, well, what do you think? And, and we usually come to agree. I don't think that there's been a big, anything like that we've disagreed on. No, we haven't. I think that we know. And I think sometimes I ask her to explore a conversation Mm -hmm. and she sometimes doesn't want to, but does. And then we both, I think, I think for the general health of the business and what we want to do, we are on exactly the same page. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, when you talk about these deals and these opportunities that you get, um, I'm assuming you part of that means that you're getting offers for work for hire, meaning it's not just like original content that you're coming up with and then selling to sponsors, but that people will come to you because we're, we're getting these opportunities and we're having to you know, do the same thing. Does this particular opportunity fall within our brand and our mission? And uh, do we own it? Do we, would we own the work or is it enough money for us to do it if it does fall within the brand and the mission for us to justify doing it even if we didn't own it? So I'm curious if you guys deal, uh, you know, have, have had to make those decisions. I'm assuming you get opportunities like that all the time. And, um, and, and like you said, you've turned down it sounds like many. So I'm just curious what those conversations are like, or if you just have decided we're not doing that. Well, I mean, it's all kinds of things. It's definitely that people come. And, you know, it's, what's tricky is, like, people will, will come, and they're, what they're asking is for us to do a lot of work for them, but they're framing it like an exciting partnership opportunity in which we wouldn't really be paid for our time or expertise. And so I think those are the ones that are easy for us to say, like, with all due respect, I mean, that's this is our time and our money, and this is our business, you know? Like, we don't we're not going to do this for your health, you know, mm-hmm. the health of your product. You know, that happens. And then I think also like the maybe like use of uh, like, you know, like you're so good at finding stories. Why don't you find, you know, crime stories Consult. and frame them? Yeah, consulting oh, for consulting. various projects, mm-hmm. things like or that. Or like TV, movies, mm-hmm. deals with other, but, you know. Merchandise, books, like mm-hmm. it's a lot. Of, people have a lot of ideas for what they can do with our time and minds. The one right. thing that the one thing that's made this really easy though a lot of these decisions is that Lauren and I will never give up ownership of criminal. And it's just it. So <laughs> because we know that it's very easy for us to turn things down and that's it. So any deal that's going to come to us where we don't have complete ownership, we're never going to do it. And we're never going to sell out a part of this company, or certainly not now. I mean, we have no desire to. We've worked too hard to give this up to someone else and to have someone else. You know, the the feeling that, that we get now when we don't have to ask anyone's permission is so great that I can't imagine someone else being able to tell us what to do or weighing in their opinion on how this show should sound or be made. In a top-down In a top-down, yeah, in yeah. an ownership. You know, that just, I, haven't we, Laura? I mean, there's been many things we don't even, we just say, oh, we can't do this. Can I ask, um, I genuinely want to know what you think of the sponsorship process. I, I, I guess I wonder if it pains you that you make this beautiful product every week and then you have to intersperse um, sometimes cheesy ads. And I, I, I wonder what your sort of, and we say that because we're, we we have this discussion yeah, yeah. all the time. It was it, hard at first. It bothers us less now. It bothers, yeah. I mean, I was really, I really struggled a lot with it at the beginning. Um, but I remember when we got our first ad. It uh-huh. was an Audible ad. Uh-huh. Do you remember that? And I, I thought this was the most amazing thing that ever happened. Yeah, you I mean, were fine. I, I just couldn't believe that someone was going to pay to to advertise on our show. I mean, I remember recording that first Audible ad, sitting here, and 
thinking, this is something. This is a big, this is a big deal. And now we record many, many ads, but I read them, which we've made pretty clear that I'm going to read the ads. We're going to do it in a pretty show-like manner, which is not over the top. There's no bells and whistles. Sometimes I'll th- they say things are good or they I like them, but that's about it. And um, we turn down sponsors who we don't think are a good match. You do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, all the time. I mean, we really are very... And sometimes Lauren and I don't even need... To, we just know. I mean, I'll get to the request before she or she'll get before me. And that's... Yeah, we... T- you just turn them down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that your biggest source of revenue right now? Yes. By Sponsorship. far. By far. Interesting. Because I was wondering if you'd ever considered going to like the Patreon model or um, I don't know. There's lots of, you know, there's lots of experimenting going on right now in how people pay for content. And I mm-hmm. wondered if you, you guys had thought about that, not just the the growing of the criminal brand, but like how you pay for it. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I think one thing that we struggle with, you know, as business women is uh, asking for money. Like, I don't think we like to ask mm-hmm. things of our listeners, you know? And and I don't know if that's, like, some sort of, like, built-in modesty or if it's because me as a consumer of things, I don't like to be asked anything. You know, like, <laughs> sure. I find it annoying to be asked, you know, like— and and there's something sort of cheeky about the presentation of asking for money or, you know, asking for uh, go review us on iTunes. And I understand that those are integral pieces of this field and of any sort of like media product or any startup is sort of asking things of your listeners or asking things of your audience. But I that's what makes me cringe. I mean, like reading mm. the Audible ad is one thing, but then sort of saying like, you know, the, the language in which we sort of ask people to recognize the value of the show in their lives and go donate money, I, I, I mean, I hate it. I mean, I hate public radio pledge drives. Like, yeah, I hate it I'm too. I'm just like, you know. I don't know, though. I'm going to play devil's advocate and say yeah. that if we weren't, I mean, we've just spent four, like 50 minutes talking about how deeply we are dedicated to the mm-hmm. product we're making to, to make it for our listeners. I mean, if nobody's listening then we'd just be making it for ourselves. But I I think we are so loyal to providing such a high level of product in a a journalistic one, a storytelling one, a narrative one. These things, maybe I'm old school public radio, but I do think like it's okay to remind people... That it's free? That... Yeah, Yeah. that 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 it would be free, essentially. I mean, we do get sponsorship now, but... Um, but that 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 really does cost a lot, and those donations that we get um, from, particularly from the you know the Radiotopia listeners, I think it's okay to ask for that. Yeah, I mean, I remember that first donation we got from that woman in West Virginia, that ten dollar donation. I remember how much that meant to me and to us. Uh, I think that you can ask for donations, not demand them, ask for them. Mm -hmm. If you are putting out as high quality product as you are, and if you're working really hard at it, and if you're not taking it for granted. Mm -hmm. And I think that like you both, we don't take it for granted and we work really hard and we wouldn't expect anyone to donate to something that was half-assed. Oh God, no. You know, because we work so hard at what we do, we say, okay, well, if you might like to give a little something, I think we're rather meek. And so I think Lauren (laughs) and I would say, you know, well, no trouble if you don't want to, but if you did, you could. You know, I think that's the way we think about it. And you, that's, yeah. we would never want to suppose that oh, someone sure. should. I totally and so, agree. And, and also, you know, we're criminals lucky. 
I mean, there's nothing I can't, I, I, we work really hard and I don't think anything's been given to us, but I also think that we're lucky and we're very lucky that we have sponsorships. We're very lucky we can make this show now with two other full-time employees besides ourselves. We think about that all the time. I think about it. How lucky a thing this is that it worked. Many thanks to Phoebe and Lauren for being here on the show, for sharing their highs and lows, and being honest about what it takes to make Criminal. But also, what it takes to make a new show that they have called This Is Love. It's stories about, well, yeah, love, but love in all forms, and in their inimitable style. And a big thank you to you, dear listeners, for supporting our show, too. Many of you have already donated. Thank you. If you're thinking about it, please go to radiotopia.fm and click donate. Whatever the amount, it is up to you. But the most important thing to us is that you show up and you let us know that this little sparky podcast has provided some value in your life, that you have become part of our crew, a community that cares about big ideas and small stories and kindness and figuring out a better way into the future. We can only do it with your help. This episode was produced by me, Jen Poyant, and Thalia Beatty. David Herman is our audio engineer and composer. Many thanks to our other audio engineer, too, Dan DeZula. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions in partnership with Civil. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. And now, hopefully, you understand what that means. I'm Manish Samarodi. Thanks so much for listening. And trying to figure out sustainably, substably. <laughs> that could be the kicker for the